0: Hi, and thank you for listening to Fit Inspired Mama podcast. I am your host, Nishma Karim. Have you heard the quote, when women support each other, incredible things happen. Here, I connect with women, female entrepreneurs, mothers, and women who want to raise their voices and inspire others. There are no competition. There are no judgments here. Just simple stories for you. So, come along and listen in as we inspire you one episode at a time. Thank you again for being here and listening to Fit Inspired Mama Podcast. Today's episode is about finding your loved ones with drugs. What would you do? When you find out that someone you love is addicted to drugs or any other substances, It can be an absolute overwhelming feeling. It can feel like the person you know is now a complete stranger. Most people never think that they will one day witness addiction firsthand. Many people dealing with addiction in their family don't fully really understand the disease of addiction and how it can only impact the person suffering but everyone else in their life. I introduce you to Andrea. Her story is similar. When she finds out her son has fallen into drugs, listen to see how she reacts. She starts her story from the time her son was just a baby and the life they had to live before things started to get better for them. Listen in to Andrea. I am so excited today to have Drea here with me. It um, It's so nice to for you to be here and for you to be able to talk to us about your story. My biggest reason of being here today on my podcast, on Fit Inspired Mama, is that I'm able to share stories from all around the world and a woman like you to inspire others to show that no matter what happens in today's life, whatever happens in our homes or our families, we are here to stick together and we are here to help each other. So thank you for being here, Treya.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited.
0: You're so welcome. So I'm just going to briefly start here with, um, with a little something to say, it breaks my heart to hear that some of these homeless people were someone's babies, husband, son, daughters, or wife before they ended up there. Some of them are on drugs, as you know, or are alcoholic, some of them have mental illness, and this is all with free will as, as they want and as they like. And most families being, are being forced to let go of all of this. I have today again, Drea, and she has a story to share. And I hope you all know that when things happen to us in any circumstances, it's about not no comparison or no judgment. This can happen to anyone. But the sad news is when something like this happens to any families, no one is willing to share it. No one's willing to talk about it. And I'm so happy that Drea has decided to come on the podcast to share her story freely and openly to all these families out there. So they're able to see that this is something that can happen to anyone. And the fact is, is maybe we can take that extra step to see how we can stop it from happening. So again, Drea, thank you for being here. I want you to just Be yourself. You know, tell us who you are, where you're from, and then give us your background story. Okay. All right.
1: Yes. Uh, I think that um, one of the things I want to say is that I never thought in a million years that I would be the mom that would have a have a child that is a drug addict, right? I really had this idea in my head that it only happened to, you know, other people, maybe hard situations, maybe they, the people grew up in hard families. Um, I never pictured that for myself. And Absolutely. so uh, there's this, this guilt and the shame that comes along with that. And it's, you know, nobody shares about it. And so I'm really excited to kind of tell my story and just let everyone know that, you know what, it's probably happening to more people than you know, we even realize. And yeah. um, just to maybe to like, shed light on just it's okay, um, how you're feeling as well, too. I think that's like the biggest thing It's okay. And it's, I feel like it should be more normalized that, you know, it's does it shouldn't make you feel like you're a bad mother. And I think that's the biggest thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, so my name is Drea. I am from Calgary. I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, but moved to Calgary when I was 18. And um, i here for a, so many years. So now as, as old as I am now. So um, I have three children right now. Um, Julian is our oldest. Um, and that's the son that I'll talk a lot about today. And then I have Aiden's my middle. Um, and Julian and Aiden, they are biological brothers. And I have Isla. Um, and she's our daughter. And she um, is with my uh, current husband. So let's get started to the vision of like the, the picture of life and, and where it's, where it's brought me. So one of the things is that I got pregnant very young. um, and when I got pregnant, you know, you, your, your vision of yourself kind of just goes out the window, right? Like any moms, right? You put your children first. That's what you do. Right. Right. You put your children. um, so, uh, you know, I get pregnant with Julian. Um, I was in Edmonton for a short period of time and then we moved to Calgary and we started, sorry about that. Um, so I, we had Julian, everything was, um, happy go lucky. Let's just say that, uh, I felt kind of blessed, right. At that point I was staying at home, taking care of a baby my ex was working all the time. Um, and then uh, we got pregnant again. Uh, and that's kind of when things went a little strange and array Uh, and my ex decided that he didn't want to be a part of us anymore and he didn't want to have a family and he decided that he was going to pack up and he was going to leave and go back to Edmonton and start another career um, there so at that moment I knew that okay I'm a mother I have a pregnant and I need to I need to be there for my kids like this is my responsibility now I need to take care of them and I just let my feelings for him just wash away and just be like okay what do I have to do Right. So I literally packed my bag and I packed it with a f- few things of clothes um, and I packed a play pen for Julian. And there we were off. Uh, we went down the street. My mom and dad lived down the street and I moved in with them for not very long. And I, I said, Kate, my ex is leaving me. I got to get a job. I got to, I got to take care of these kids. They're my biggest priority right now. Okay. And the very next day I you know, left my son with my, my parents and I went downtown and I used to work in a high-end men's clothing store before I had children. And so I went right downtown to the highest, you know, clothing store that I could. And I walked in and I said, you know what? I'm I'm like, I'm looking for work. I need a job. You know, I can sell suits. Uh, You know, are you willing to give me a chance? And uh, they did, they gave, they gave me the job. Um, And with that, yeah, it was, it was, it was very, I just, I said, I really need this job. Like I, I really need a job. Um, and they were very gracious and they, and they, they agreed to give me this job, which is kind of, I look back, it's kind of crazy how that works. Yeah, And I remember then saying, okay, well, since you've given me the job, can you give me an advance? <laughs> because I had no money. Uh, you know, you're, you're, there was not I had I literally had just a bag and a playpen um and there was a place down for my parents that was for rent and and I phoned the guy up uh and I said you know is your place for rent and he said yes and I said well I'm standing outside I want to rent it um and that's what I did with my advance I got I got the apartment I got the the fourplex it was a fourplex had two bedrooms tiny little kitchen and me and Julian and you know, six month baby, Aiden, uh, we, we went in there and, and it was ours. And, and I was like, okay, this is, this is happening. We've got a place now I'm pregnant and, you know, Julian has a place to sleep in a playpen. And then, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you my, one of my favorite stories and and Nishma, I I'm sure this is my, one of my favorite stories that I told you as well too. And, you know that was September-ish. Um, everything blends together um, when you go through life if you don't have like a chronological timeline. But it, that was September-ish that that happened, and we were just going, we were going through life. And you know I was making you know minimum wage and just doing what I could as a mother. So you know I, I really had nothing. And uh, you know we went to the youth stores. We got some pots and pans. We got. You know just the basic the basic things right the kids stuff came first the diapers came first everything like that came first
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh that Christmas came and it still makes me cry the story still makes me cry yeah um that Christmas I did not have a Christmas tree didn't have one And I felt really bad. You know, Julian's three years old and, you know, it's Christmas is a spectacular time. And, you know, we didn't have Christmas tree. And so I go to the Sobeys. It's like December 23rd and I'm getting some special treats because I saved up for that. So we're going to get some special treats for Christmas. And um, back in the day, the grocery store would actually have a tree lot sitting outside. And there was there was this tree lot and there was maybe like Five trees in it and so there's this young kid and he's at the the till you know doing our cash out and I ask him and I say how much are these trees and I didn't have 40 I, or a tree or it was 40 dollars I think I think I got some like bread and we had like turkey sandwiches or something like it was it was a choice right and he goes he goes but my manager's on lunch yeah, he's like, yeah. go 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 take one now yeah I had, I literally ran out of the Sobeys as fast as I could. Um, And Julian's, you know, running with me. And he's in this little, I had this little, little tykes wagon. We ran into the lot. I grabbed the first tree. I throw it right onto the wagon. Yeah. (laughs) And then we go around the corner and we wait at the bus stop. (laughs) And I'm looking the whole time thinking, oh my God, someone's going to, you know, did they know that I stole this tree? (laughs) anyways, we get home. I have an ice cream bucket. I put the tree in the bucket. I literally nailed the tree to the wall. And, uh, me and Julian sat there. Of course we didn't have decorations, but me and Julian sat there and we made decorations with tin Um, and I tell you that because when he did come back, um, on drugs, you know, that's what he says. He says that that was his favorite memory of me and him was that Christmas that we made Christmas ornaments. And in my head, I was the worst mother because I could only give him a stolen Christmas tree and tin foil ornaments. Um, but in his head, it was the best Christmas ever. And so it's totally different perspective. Like he remembers that to the T that that was, that was his best Christmas.
0: That's amazing. I just, um, you know, those little memories that these kids have growing up. It's not about what you buy them or it's not what about it's not about what uh, we have for them. It's more about how we spend time with them and as forget those little things. Right. How we spend time with them is what they will remember when they get older. And that is beautiful because that is something that you still remember and he still remembers, though, we're still going to start and finish up your story. I do want to know more, but it's, it's a very beautiful way of remembering that one thing that he had told you that he loved the most.
1: Yeah. And, you know, to me, that was, that was, that was a failure, right? Um, To me, that was, that was not success, right? That was being a poor mother that was um, not giving the kids everything, but, in reality, that's not true. That, that would, that's not true at all. No. Um, that time that I had spent with him, that was, so let's fast forward a couple, um, we'll go like a year, a year ahead. Um, I actually meet my current husband, um, sweetest guy ever. He comes into our lives and, you know, he, he, he knows that I have two kids and um, I meet him through mutual friends and he wants to go out on a date with me and you know I keep saying no because you know I'm doing the mom thing and I have two kids and at that point I really feel like who else is going to want me now that I have two kids with another man do you know what I mean like I'm I'm kind of in that position of like I'm not I'm not in that place to give anyone anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband is very, very sweet now and he keeps asking me out. And finally I, I agree to going out with him um, and we go for dinner and I wanted to be casual. And at this point I'm, I'm starving, right. Because <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm living on, budget. We've got two kids and I really don't have, um, all right. So at this point I'm starving and I want to go and eat. That's all I'm actually going on the day for is, is that if you know what, you take me out and you feed me, I'm going to be super happy. I probably will never see you again. And I'm going to order everything on the menu. So I ordered like the messiest foods. I ordered the chicken wings. I think I ordered the nachos. I ordered the steak. I ordered the cheesecake for dessert. I ordered everything that I possibly could. And in my head, I'm thinking, this guy is going to think that this girl's disgusting because she's eating all this stuff, right? Um, Years later, I've come to find out that's actually what sold him uh, on me is that I wasn't afraid to actually order when we were out on a date I was just good to be myself. Um, I had no makeup on I'm wearing this ugly hoodie and you know I really put no effort into my like self-care at all and we sat and we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked and you know what it was the first time in a long time that I felt that that I was having like an adult like connection with someone so um, at the end, I apologized and said, I'm sorry, can we redo that? And I'll dress nice and I'll, we'll actually go out on a date. I won't <laughs> try to just go out just to eat. <laughs> um, and so things happened really quickly with me and my husband after that. Um, he was, he was really sweet. Uh, we kind of hit it off and then the conversation happened and I said to him, I said, you know, if you're coming into my life, I have two boys, they're always going to come first. Um, are you okay with that? And he said, yes. So he moved into our fourplex with us. Sweetest, sweetest guy ever. Um, he did not like me working a re- re- retail, retail, job. He said, that's not, you know, that's not a good career for you. Please do something with your life. You're smarter than, than just working in retail. Um, and he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to pay for all the bills and you go back to school. Wow. And so he, that's what I did. I, I literally Googled careers under two years. Yeah. And um, I found this job called, called dental assisting, which I had no idea what dental assisting was, to be honest with you. And um, yes. And then I, I ended up becoming a dental assistant. And um, that's actually how I ended up meeting your sister.
0: That's right. That's how yeah. we got to know each other.
1: Yes. Um, and then life happened kids grew older and it wasn't until um, Julian turned about 15, 14 15 years old where he now was starting to become curious about his dad um, his biological dad and I always I've always told Julian that, and, and both Aiden that it's important that they spend time with their you know get to know their dad because I feel like they never had that relationship. So I was always trying to encourage that. And Julian had decided uh, when he was 15 that summer vacation, he was gonna go and live with his dad and uh, for the summer. It was supposed to be two weeks that so he was gonna go there for two weeks, but then it turned to the summer. And that's when things started to change. Um, so he went for two weeks, and then I get a message from his dad saying that his, Julian wanted to move there and, and he was going into grade 10. So he was registered for high school here. He was on the football team here. He was academically, Julian didn't do great in school, but he was really good at sports. And so we were really excited for him to start high school um, getting into football. And at that point, you know, I I wanted to respect Julian. I wanted to give him that freedom of making that choice and knowing that he's 15. So we agreed and we said, okay, if you want to live with your dad, you know, that's fine. Um, We respect that. Um, If you could just come home and pick up your stuff. And at that point, he didn't want to. And so we didn't push, we didn't push um, Julian. We just told him that when you're ready, um, you can come home and and we can chat. And, um, at that time I felt that that was the right decision. was trying to be supportive, trying to be the mother that was, you know, not going to get angry and, and try to, you know, judge and criticize. I was really just trying to have that open relationship.
0: And, and it makes sense, right? He's at that age. And I don't think that you did anything wrong. You were just trying to allow him to be, you were giving him that trust that I trust you, whatever decision that you make, this is from your mom to you. Like, I trust you, whatever decision you make will be the right one. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then it was, it was some time, you know, we really didn't chat. We didn't really talk. Um, I didn't really talk to his dad and, uh, my parents went to Edmonton, um, My dad, my dad was doing some work and long story short is is that they actually, they actually found Julian, um, living on the streets Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I I knew my parents were going to Edmonton. Um, I knew deep down that there was something off, but you know, there's only so much you can do, right. There's only so much you can do. And, uh. My parents found Julian and he was living under a bridge in a tent um, just off of White Ab- Avenue in Edmonton. Mm. And uh, I remember my dad um, phoning me and my dad saying to me, you know, he, he my parents call me Andrea. I, I go by Drea to most friends and people I know. And, you know, he says, this, this was the hardest part for, for my dad and me was, you know, he doesn't have any shoes.
0: Shoes, yeah, no shoes.
1: So him living in a tent under a bridge <laughs> wasn't as bad as him not having any shoes. Like that, that was like when it hit home that oh crap, like this is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so he Julian ended up coming coming back home with my parents, um, and that's when you know we learned that you know he was doing uh, crystal meth. And of course, from me being a dental assistant, I know the stats with crystal meth. That it is not is not good. It's it's a very very hard drug. It is poor poor recovery rate, and um, what it does to the physical body and the mind is is unreal. And you know, one of the things about you know Julian doing drugs is that. I didn't think that my kid was going to do drugs. And I, I didn't know. I I could not tell you what crystal meth was until Julian started doing crystal meth. I had no idea. I, I had no idea the nicknames, the short names, the, the, the way that, you know, the kids describe it. Um, I, I learned a lot about the, the real hard world in a very short period of time. Um, and even my husband, you know, even our, even, even our kids, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but you go from being this little baby about like life. And then all of a sudden you see this whole other side of life and it's like, your your mind is blown um, because it's, it's like, it's like most people are you know their path visions this way and then you get thrown this well now your path is now like this because now you see it everywhere right you know uh, I'll see a homeless kid on the street and and I'll know right away oh they're doing that drug you know I the minute I knew that Julian was doing drugs you know there was this immediate fight for oh we got this uh, we're gonna, we're gonna be able to get you into rehab and you're going to get help and you're going to be all better. And, and I'm going to be the best mom in the world because I'm going to get you all the help. And, you know, your brother and your sister are going to be there and love you. And, you know, you you know, Jed is going to be there supportive of you. And there's this, this bubble of there's help. Um, and that's where this conversation gets kind of, um, surprising. Um, Because, you know, all I can say is that what I've seen from before, I've never been in this situation. So I thought right away, oh, it's rehab. Oh, it's let's get you help. Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's get you therapy. Let's, you know, let's get you all these things that we're supposed to get you um, that are supposed to be available to you to help you. Yeah. But the question, the thing is, is that if you're over the age of 16 in Alberta and you don't want the help.
0: They don't give you the help.
1: So a perfect example is, is that, um, Julian had gotten a job, uh, at Eastside Marios. And when he got that job, um, his first paycheck, he went missing for three weeks. He went on a drug binge. And when he came back, um, we had, we had one opportunity to, um, get him help. Um, there's one really great, um, place here in Calgary um, called Ark. And if you're under the age of 18, they will, they will confine you. It's quite pricey and expensive, and there's no guarantee that a treatment will work, but it was our only option at that point because we had explored everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was our last chance. This was, this was it. And and we knew that. We knew that this was the last chance to to still help him while he was under the age of 18, because I, I don't see a 16 year old kid high on drugs, being able to make those decisions, but the government and the law state that they can make those decisions, which is absolutely ridiculous.
0: Very ridiculous. I I guarantee I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. If the law is you can't after 18, the law for anything should be the same law at 18. Yes, I agree.
1: So, I mean, you know, we, there were times when we took Julian into, you know, rehab and, you know, he couldn't even walk. He didn't even know his name. He was so high on drugs and he's, and he would say, no, I'm fine. I don't, I don't need, you know, I don't need any help. I can stop whenever I want. And as soon as they say that he said that, then there was nothing anyone could do because he was denying treatment and he had the right, but I'm like, ask him what his name is. He He doesn't even know what his name is he doesn't even know where he lives but he could if because he said no you're not going to help them um and that just that just blew my mind away like i was that's when i knew that this so-called bubble of hope was bursting and it was now the end of the storm let's just put it that way It it was the end of the it was end the end of the storm um, and our, our opportunity to get him that help, we, we lost when he went missing for those three weeks, um, because it was only a couple months before he was going to be 18. Um, and there's a lot of time span in there, you know, there's, you know, there's the time that I found the needle in, in the basement and, you know, there's a time when we had to sit our kids down at the table and you know, I had to, we had to tell our kids, what's wrong with our brother, why he's acting the way he's acting. You know, we had to tell them this is crystal meth. This is what it does to your brain. You know, this is why your brother isn't mm-hmm. acting normal. This is why your brother has scars and, and bleeding and sores on his face. Right. Cause the physical dimension of him changes. Um. And so that the last time when it was our last opportunity to really try to help him, that's when we knew that we had to say, say our goodbyes. Um, and it's, you know, I look back at it and it's quite a, it's quite a, it's quite a romantic like thing to think is, is that I, you know, I'm very grateful that I had the chance to say goodbye to my son. Um But at the same time, it, you know, I wish that I wish I never would have had to do that. But, you know,
0: it is it is a very difficult thing that you did. The fact that you were able to just let go, knowing that he's your son, mm-hmm. knowing that you could, you know, if, you know, in my family, I'll be honest, if, if, I, if any of us got into kind of like drug or something, I think they would lock us up somewhere. <laughs> They would lock us up and not let us go until they know they'd probably give us food from underneath the the doors or something guaranteed in, in the culture that I'm in, in the family that I grew up in, this is something that they would probably do. But you were, you were very strong for saying, you know, I've tried, I've allowed, I've tried and I've, you know, taken him to all these places and I have wanted him to get help. Unfortunately, the law was not on your side unfortunately, the fact that he can just say, I'm fine, was okay with them, was not on your side. And so it's not like you didn't try. It's not like you put him in there. He, all the choices that are made are made by the individual. And this is what I, I'm so, um, I'm so proud of you for just being able to come out of it and being able to talk about it because, you know, I've not heard and I'm going to be honest, I've not heard any other parents talk about it at all. And if I haven't, it's because maybe I'm not looking around, but probably there are, but not as many. So I want, I want others to know that this is possible with anybody. It can happen to anyone. How do we stop it?
1: And I think that that's like one of the things that, you know, I'm looking back on and I'm, and I'm remembering you know, what, how I was, as a, how I am as a mother, how I'm parenting, you know, um, my frustrations, my, you know, my happy times, like what, what could, what could I do now? It, and it's not even about what I could have done because I could have done everything right in the entire world. I, I could have, I could have been the perfect mom. Um, and whatever a perfect mom looks like, because who really knows what a perfect mom looks like? You're right. But, but this still has happened to me. And the question is, is it, yeah, it, it can. Because the, these drugs are in every household, in every family, in every life. Um, whether it's crystal meth, whether it's um, crack cocaine, um, whether it's alcohol, There are so many, there are so many, so many drugs that are easy, easily accessible to our kids. And I guess the one thing is, is that don't be afraid to talk to your kids about all of those things. Because you know what, if you don't talk to them about it, they're learning it from their friends. That's right. And if their friends have influences from their parents, because we don't know what kind of life they're living at home, right? Right. Um, nobody really knows what it's like behind closed doors. Um, you don't know what they're learning or what they're being exposed to.
0: That's true. And
1: so, you know, we we now have an open door policy in our household of anything, you know, whatever whatever it may be. Um, maybe it's something you saw on social media. Maybe you heard your friend their their friends talking about it. Um, I think that one of the things that you know impacted you know my kids is my uh, Aiden, who's um, 18 now. He he won't even associate with anyone who even smokes, um, because he looks at that as being a bad thing. So he has went from one extreme to the other extreme, where you know if just because someone smokes doesn't make them a bad person, right? But now he associates that with I'm not going to be around you because you're a bad influence around me. And, uh, you know, he'll, he's kind of isolated himself to like only hanging out with certain people and not getting out there, which isn't good either. Um, but you know, our daughter, she was a lot younger. So, you know, she knows, she knows about what crystal meth is, um, and understands that, you know, her brother was sick from it. Um, but you know, there was this, yeah have you ever had those like at schools they'll sometimes bring in those special teams of like police officers and they'll talk about drugs at school they have yes. those programs yes i'm not even kidding you isla in grade four i think grade three four and these people come in and they're talking about how drugs are bad for you and you know isla raises her hand and you know, anyone have questions and, you know, she's casually, well, my brother does crystal meth, and you know, it really messes up your life. He's homeless now. And, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I ended up getting a phone call from the principal, but um, it was a casual, it was a casual conversation for her. It was not, it wasn't like something to be ashamed of. It was, she had no guilt, no shame, no embarrassment. It was just Hey, this is, this happened to my brother. Like these people are telling the truth. Like people listen to these guys. Like this is what happens. Um, And if anything, I feel like we, like both my husband and I, we've made a difference because that's the mentality that I want her to grow up with is that, Hey, this is normal. This can happen. And if it does happen, you just have to share about it so that it doesn't happen to other people.
0: Yeah, it is a very difficult topic to talk about with your kids. It is for me. I have a really difficult. Like, when do I do it? My child is in almost going to grade two. The other one is just getting into kindergarten. When do we talk about this? When? How do we talk about it? You know, like I think every parent has their own ways of how they want to share that with their kids, and I think that is really important to start at a young age is just kind of tell them about a few things that are around in this world and what happens like I was actually grown up in a bubble I'll have to be honest with you I never knew so many of these things I didn't know about crystal meth I did learn about cocaine and her heroin and I did know what it is um but I never tried it never did it never seen anyone in my life in any of my friends that have ever done it so I've always been in that little bubble and then when I met my husband we um when we got to meet each other like he's not in that bubble he was he knows what was happening around everywhere he knew what was going on in the world and you know he he showed me movies and and scenarios and i'm sitting there I'm like what 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 is that like i've never seen that before i didn't even know that existed and then here crystal meth i found out through one of the shows that we watched and how they make it and it's it's made through labs and how they make it and and the percentage of these crystals like how what it does and how they smoke it or how they inject it into you and it was like oh my god this is crazy this is crazy I, you know like what's going on the the vapors that are coming out too the the ones that are coming out you can they, they can put tobacco in there or they can put drugs in there now and then they can They can smoke it. You don't even know what's in there. There's so many things. I think one of the parents had come up to me and told me that it's like a little pencil. It looks like a little pencil, but it's a vape. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know that it's a vape. A a parent will look at it and say, oh, it's just a pencil. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you put it down and you don't realize it's not, it's, it's a vape. So these kids can be bringing in anything. It could look like, they could look like, um, uh, what do you call it? One of those, like a computer chip or something,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like a USB, you know, like I'm like, oh my God, like, how do you know it's not a USB and it's a vape, right? So yeah. this is something that I am, um, I am very scared to talk to about my, my kids. And I think a lot of parents out there would be too as well. And some mm-hmm. will have their ways of saying it. So I, I'm, I'm very honored that you did come here and that you are able to share the story so did your son come back? Were you able to see him again?
1: Um, I, so the last time that we've seen him was the time that we kind of said our goodbyes to him, which has been almost three years. Um, and, you know, we all sat around the table and, you know, we told Julian that we love him and that we want him to get help. And our door is always open and available for him when he is ready um, to get the help. If he if he wants to come home and he wants help, like legitimate help, not the lies and the twists and the stories that we've been told many times before, um, please come home. The door is here. But if you're choosing this lifestyle, it's not healthy for you and we cannot support you um, in this lifestyle. And, you know, he went around the table and he gave all of us hugs. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he hugged me and he says, you know, mom, this is my life. It's my choice. And I said, I know, Julian, I love you. And um, then we drove him to the train station or the bus station, the Greyhound. And we dropped him off. And uh, we pulled over on the side of the road, my husband and I, and we felt like the worst freaking parents in the entire world that we just sent our kid on a bus to go live in a homeless shelter in Edmonton. Uh, and that is the last time that I've seen my son and I, I have not heard from him since, um, but my door will be open. If he came a banging on the door, you know, I would welcome him in with open arms and I would be ready to say, well, let's get to work. What do we need to do to help you?
0: Oh. Thank you. A mother will always be there for the child. Always, always. There is never a chance where she'll ever just let him go. They'll yeah. always be there for their child. You know, make sure that their child is taken care of. So thank you for saying that. That was beautiful. Uh, Drea, I, I know that uh, the story is so overwhelming. So I'm going to let, uh, finish this off today and just be like, thank you for being here and sharing your story. Is there something that you want to tell any parents out there, anything at all that, um, if, if anyone is listening to this, is there anything that you would want to say?
1: Just be open, um, listen to your children, and um, always fight for them. Always fight for them, no matter what. Never give up on your children, no matter what they're going through. That, I guess that would be my, my, only, my only thing. Can you prevent it? Can you stop it? No, um, but you can always fight for them, and you can always be supportive of them.
0: And if anyone wants to get a hold of you and say, I want to talk to her, I want to ask her questions. I'm going through a very similar phase in my life. How would they get a hold of you?
1: Uh, you know what? You can follow me on Instagram. Um, I do have my ad dream essential oils, um, or I am on Facebook as well under Drea Melanson. You can always friend me. I am an open book. I'm not afraid to share it because I had no one who would share it with me. And um, if I know there's more people out there that are going through this, and if we can all just share our stories, I feel like there's things that could be learned and taught and cried and loved upon and just come together as just people um, healing and supporting.
0: Yes, that's the biggest thing. That's why I have you here. It's we all support each other. And we're all here to help each other out with whatever we need. And this is why I'm so happy that you're here. If anyone is listening and needs to get to hold of you, I will have your description below on, on every all my platforms. So that's a good thing. So they'll be able to contact you if needed. Dree, thank you, uh, Drea. thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for allowing yourself to come out here and tell us your story. The biggest impact here for us is to listen to our kids and to hear them out and be able to just be there with them and understand what's really going on and to really educate them on everything that's happening. And at the end of the day, you're right, it is their choice and it's their world. It's their life. The best we can do is to educate them. And at the end of the day, at one age, they're gonna have to figure it out themselves. We cannot be following them step-by-step to tell them what to do. So praying for every family to be happy out there in every prayers sending to them because at the end of the day, we want everyone to be extremely safe and happy with whatever happens. Um, thank you again for being here. Thanks for everyone that's listening. I do hope that you guys did take some, take something out of this. If there's anything that you guys want to talk about or ask Drea, please do send her a message. And we hope to see you guys next week. Have a fabulous, fabulous day.